Awesome, awesome. Hey, uh, welcome to Rockbridge. Uh, my name is Matt. I, I'm one of the pastors on our team and just grateful to see everybody. Grateful if you've joined us online or any of our, our six physical locations. So hey, this weekend is, is kind of, there's several anniversaries that we want to celebrate. This is the weekend that Rockbridge Community Church came into existence 19 uh, years ago. And amazing things, right, that we're all here. Amazing that we had about 25 people that started this church in one location, one language, and now we're in six locations. We're online. We're in two languages, and uh, we praise God for that. Our Hickson campus is turning five years old. It's our campus in Hamilton County, and uh, so that's just incredible, and we praise God. We thank God for that. It's beautiful. It's amazing, but there's also another anniversary <clears throat> that I think is, is a, more of a sobering one, which is this is the uh, 20th anniversary of September 11th, one of the worst um, losses of life and, de and attacks on U.S. soil in our history. Um, probably most of us remember where we were. I was on an aircraft carrier coming home in the Indian Ocean, but we didn't come home. Um, and uh, I've got folks I served in the Navy with that lost their lives in the course of the, the, the 20 or so years that we've been involved in uh, Afghanistan. I've got a brother who sp has spent most of his military career there. And uh, so I, I just want to invite us all uh, to pause for just a brief moment of silence. I'll lead us all in all of our locations online. I'll lead us all in a prayer as we just pause. We thank God, but we also need to remember. Join with me and your heads bowed, eyes closed. God, I, I, I want to thank you um, for you. I, I want to thank you that you are changeless and you are eternal and you are sovereign. And, and I want to thank you, God, because uh, without you, uh, everything I've ever hoped in would be uncertain and unsure. But because of you, I have a hope and, uh, that's sure and a peace that will not uh, disappoint and that passes understanding. And that's all from you, God, because uh, this world's crazy sometimes and painful sometimes. So, God, I think it's important that we here at Rockbridge thank you for our church. God, you called this church into existence uh, and called me to be a part of it, called so many people to be a part of it. Thank you, God, because you've blown our minds. You've done more than I could have asked or imagined, and that's just what you say you're going to do in your work. Thank you, God, that we get to share the hope of the world. God, on a day and a, and a weekend like this, when we remember a terrible tragedy, we're reminded that we are stewards of the good news, the gospel. And God, I, I want to thank you for that privilege and pray, God, that you would give us greater faithfulness and greater boldness to be communicators of the hope of Jesus Christ. But God, we also just want to pause and pray for those who lost loved ones 20 years ago, or military personnel who were killed in the process of that war against terror in that part of the world. Or even now, God, what's going on in Afghanistan, we just have to ask you for your mercy, trust that your Holy Spirit prays in ways that we can't even fathom for your will to be done. So God, we just pause, and we thank you that we can live in this country that's free, but we recognize, God, that men and women put their lives on the line all the time to preserve and protect that freedom. So God, this weekend, we look to you with hope, even when we mourn and even when we look back and have questions or confusion, we can always look to you and find a reason to believe 
that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're, uh, we're actually going to start a new series today. It's a great day uh, to be here when we start a new series. And, and just to kick us off and get the juices flowing in our, in our brains and intersect God's word with our lives. You know, I think all of us would just, you know, whether you look at the news or you look in your own life, your own little world, you might say, hey, things are not going right. Or you just have this sense of, eh, you know, that maybe something's not going right or you've been there and something's not going right. I, I think a lot of people are nostalgic just for normal, whatever normal is. But then I think sometimes we look at our normal and like, man, is normal to do marriage the way I've done it? Because that hadn't worked out. Or is normal to do finances the way I've done finances? Because that hadn't worked out. And, and I, I think as we came out of this series, we were just in in August, and we move into this new series, and we look at the world, we look at our lives, I, I think there's an opportunity to be open, to be open to something. Okay, and, and what I, I, I'm praying that we would be open for is this, just a better way, just a better way, a, a, a better way to do something, a better way to look at something, a better way to understand something, a better way to, to have an attitude or to have a perspective on something. So we're going to kick off this series. We're going to go for several, several weeks, and we're just going to talk about a better way. Now, now, let me just pause for just a second. This is part one. You got to come back, okay? Because all I'm going to do today is give you a question. I'm going to give you a question without resolution. So if you leave here today a little bit frustrated or a little bit confused, all that means is God's bringing you back next week, okay? So uh, just hang in there with me. That's why we do this in series uh, and package it like that. But I just encourage you to be consistent in church, watching, engaging online, in person as we look at a better way. Because here, here's what I know. All of us would admit, right, <clears throat> that the way we do something matters, right? You can say the right thing in a rude, harsh way, and it doesn't do what you expected it to do, right? I mean, there's two different ways to say this to your spouse. Are you going to wear that? Are you going to wear that? You see, the way matters, right? I mean, the, the way you do something, the way we look at something, the way we think about something, it all matters. And so we would all acknowledge that, right? And, and here's something that, <clears throat> that I was thinking about. All of us are students, or I'm going to use a scriptural word, disciple. Disciple means student of a way. You know, there's, we've, called, we've said, hey, the American way. Well, this is the way my family does it. This is the way my family does it. This is the way we do things around here, that we're all students of a way. And, and for most of us, <clears throat> excuse me, most of us, we sort of acquired through our family of upbringing, maybe our church and spiritual experiences, maybe our, the culture we live in. You know, you grew up north, you grew up in the south, you grew up in a big city, you grew up in a, in a, on a farm, and it affected, or you were a student of how you looked at things, how you looked at the way you look at God, the way you look at government, the way you view marriage, the way you think about money. Someone, something discipled you. Because we're all learners and we all pick up and we all acquire a way, okay? And we usually stick with the way that we learned it, that we heard it, that we came to understand it for a long time until something makes us hungry for a better way. And I'm praying 
that me too, we would all be hungry for a better way. Now, now here, here, the challenge is this, though. The challenge is this. We're human beings, and we have this thing called pride and stubbornness. And because we have pride and stubbornness, we have a bias or a defense or a tendency toward our way of doing it or our way of looking at it. And you've said it this way. Well, that's just the way it is, or that's just the way I see it, or that's just the way we look at it. And, and what you're saying when you say that is this is my opinion and nothing's going to really change the way I think about it, the way I do it, the way I approach it. And, and, and the problem is when you get stuck in your way and your way's not working, or if you're married and you are in your way and she's in her way, and, guess, and, and those two ways aren't meeting anymore. So, so what I'm hoping for is that all of us, no matter where you think you are spiritually, where you think you are as a human being, that you, we would all just say, okay, is there a better way to do marriage? Is there a better way to handle a pandemic? Is there a better way that, that, that I haven't thought of about money? Because we all have inherited stuff about money and that we would just be open to a better way. Now, now what's awesome about this is that when we go into Scripture and we go into the words of Jesus, he talks about two ways, essentially, two ways to sort of approach things and approach life. And, and we're going to look at the Scripture in Matthew chapter 7. And in Jewish thought back in the first century, in, in Jewish literature, Jew, Jewish writers and authors and scholars would frequently talk about two ways to do things, a right way and a wrong way. And Jesus, coming out of the Jewish race, kind of captures that as he summarizes the longest sermon we have of his, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And, and here, here's what he says. I'm going to just read two verses, Matthew chapter 7. He says, enter by the narrow gate. So we get four images here, four images Jesus is going to give us to illustrate this concept of a way. He says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So he says, look, most people, Go through, uh, <clears throat> go through the wide gate and the easy way. And I'm going to challenge you to contrast that with the narrow way. So we can't go with what's popular. We can't go with what everybody's doing. We can't even go, well, the way we've always done it around here. All that stuff, Jesus is like, hey, we got to throw that out. And then he says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, now even, even when we read that, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Some of us, when we read the way hard, we're like, oh, I'm out. Because it's not supposed to be hard, isn't it? God's supposed to make it easy. Not my words, not my, not my words. Jesus is that the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, what's interesting, what's interesting about this is this is the summation and the closing argument, if you will, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And whether you're a spiritual person, been in church for a while, read the Bible or not, most of us are familiar with things that have, we find or come out of the Sermon on the Mount. And what's even more interesting is most of us would agree that if everybody lived by the Sermon on the Mount, the world would be a better place. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, we find the golden rule. I mean, can you just imagine in your house even? If everybody kept the golden rule, it'd be a great way to work. 
It'd be awesome, right? <clears throat> and, and he has some teachings about like adultery and sexual immorality. And, and, and I know nobody's perfect in that area, but, but let's just imagine that, hey, all of a sudden everybody took Jesus's teachings on marriage and adultery and sexual immorality. We just took them serious. And, and it, would the family in the world not be better? So, so there is a better way and Jesus spells it out. So my question is, okay, if we would all agree Hey, life would be better, marriage would be better, family would be better, work would be better if everybody followed the golden rule. If we would all agree marriage would be better if everybody kept Jesus' words and, and honored those words, then why does Jesus need to give us this statement? Why does he need to do that? And the reason he needs to do that is this. Because you and I can believe the truth about Jesus and of Jesus, but not walk in the way of Jesus. Let me pause for let that, let that sit for just a second. So, so we can be church people, Christian people, believers. We can know where, you know, the, the first four books of the New Testament of the Gospels, we can know that. We can know that Jesus died on the third day, that Jesus died on Friday and rose on the third day. We can know all that. We can know what Christmas is all about. We can know all this truth. We can know golden rule. We can know Jesus' teaching on money. Jesus' teaching on marriage. Jesus' teaching on politics. Jesus' teaching on how to use your tongue. We can know all that truth, but still not walk in the way of Jesus. And so Jesus comes at the very end and say, hey, look, there's a narrow way and there's a wide, easy way. Go the narrow way. Go the way I've laid out for you. And, and, and then Jesus even gives a metaphor about himself in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I was reading a, a pastor who's kind of a theologian and writes a lot. And he said, he goes, I don't know of any other problem that has plagued the American church for the last 50 years than this problem. The American church is familiar with and knows the truth of Jesus, but has refused to walk the way of Jesus. And I, that hit me like a ton of bricks as a pastor, as a Christ follower, Hit me like a ton of bricks because I think a lot of us are out here scratching our heads saying, hey, my way's not working. Our way's not working. This way hasn't worked. And is there a better way? And then you just sort of peel the curtain back and the layers of the onion back on this concept. And do you know, I discovered this, do you know what they called the first Christians? It wasn't Christians, by the way, right? The, the first Christians, very first people who, who trusted in Jesus, followed Jesus the way, the truth, and life. You know, they called them people of the way. L listen to this before Paul becomes a, a, a Christian. He's going, he goes around and he asks for letters to the synagogues to find out if there were people who belonged to the way whether men or women, he might, and then he would take them prisoners to Jerusalem. So way means the way you live, that the way the Christian lives is definable and distinguishable from other people, that the way the Christian lives looks more Christ-like than world-like, that the way the Christian lives looks more Bible, Christian, Jesus than even American. That the way the Christian lives doesn't look like they're a Yankee or a Southerner. They look like a Christ follower. People of the way. And, and you even find this concept. I was like, man, is this just a New Testament thing? No, it's all in the Bible. Isaiah 35 says it this way. A road will be there away, and it will be called the holy way. 
The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. There will be no lion there. No vicious beast will go on it. So it'll be a safe, secure way. They will not be found there. But the redeemed will walk on it. So this metaphor of a way is a controlling image for a Christ follower, for a Christian to understand that there's a better way, that there's a different way. And then you pull the layers back of Scripture, and I think a lot of us, if we said, hey, you know, what's the whole goal of Christianity? A lot of us, just because of the way we were raised, it's like, so you go to heaven when you die. And most of us would be like, yeah. And then most of us, most of us, and I'm just being fair, it doesn't matter if you're coming from a, a Catholic, liturgical, traditional background or a charismatic or a pro, it doesn't really matter or no background, right? Most of us are like, man, my faith assures me or tells me that I'll be okay. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'll be okay when I die. But in the Bible, do you know there's very little, very little about, hey, are you going to heaven or hell? That's not, that's not even a big question. We've made it the only question. Do you know what the Bible says for Christ followers and Christians? I'll show you. 1 Peter 2.21, For you were called to this because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That that's the goal. And then I find this prayer that Paul prays over a church, just like you and I are a church at Rockbridge. This was a church in a city, a big city called Colossae. He says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And, and most of us, well, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And this is why he prays it. Then the way you live, the way you live will always honor and praise the Lord and our lives will produce every kind of good fruit all the while. And you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And then Paul, who planted a bunch of churches. And I think about that because Rockbridge is a church plant. We planted this church 19 years ago. And what did Paul want for his church? Did he want big attendance? Well, maybe. Did he want to make, you know, did he want to, hey, I just want to make sure everybody's going to heaven when they die. Yeah, I'm sure that was it. But look what he says. He says, I want you to imitate me as I also imitate Christ. I want you to look like Jesus. I want you to look like Jesus. That, that God saving us from our sins that God putting his Holy Spirit in us, that God putting our names in the, quote, Lamb's book of life, that God rising from the dead and inviting us to be sons and daughters, inviting us to be citizens of Jesus' kingdom. His big goal for Matt Evans, that I look like Jesus. His big goal for Matt Evans, listen to me. I know God called me to pastor and preach. I wouldn't be here if he didn't because I had my own plans. But I know his highest calling for me is the same as it is for you. That we look like Jesus. That's indisputable in God's word. And we'll put all this energy, won't we, people? Who am I supposed to marry? What college am I supposed to go to? 
What job am I supposed to have? Should I have this car? Should I have that car? Should I live here? Should I live there? And that's all secondary. And God's help, God will help you with all that stuff. But it doesn't really matter who I live if I don't look like Jesus. It doesn't matter what college I go to if I don't act like Jesus. And, and, and so there's a better way. And it is the way. And so what I want to do, I just want to give all of us a question. And, and I think if we just would take this question and take it seriously and lay it on top of our life, it has the potential to be revolutionary and radical. I think if we could get a fraction of rock bridgers to really wrestle with and commit to this question and the answer that comes from honest, humble seeking, I think we'd see revival. And, and I don't throw that out lightly, please hear me. And I know you can't schedule revival, you can't cause revival, you can't put it on the calendar, it's the sovereign of God thing, it's the grace of God. But I think God's looking for a group of people who will take his purpose for their lives seriously. And so here, here's the question. If we're hungry for a better way, if we look at the world that we live in, the nation that we live in, man, this is not working. This way is not working. If you're sitting there looking at your marriage, like, man, my way's not working. If you're looking at how you've dated in the past, my way's not working. If you're, if you're even open to it, then here's the question. And listen, this question, I, I was thinking about this because I've preached several sermons that are question-based sermons and, I, you know, giving you questions like what is the wise, why, what is the wise thing to do and, and giving you questions <clears throat> like what is God's will for this? I think this is the best question ever, ever. I, I know I just bet the farm on what I'm about to put on the screen. I, I, I really think, just a student of God's word, I really think it is the best question ever. Here it is. What is the way Jesus would do my marriage, steward my money, spend my time, raise my kids, Handle my social media account. Right? Ooh, got some you. Yeah, I hear you. What is the way Jesus would look at the coronavirus and the vaccine? What, what is the way Jesus would look at living in America? What is the way Jesus, how would Jesus talk to an enemy? How would Jesus handle someone he disagreed with? And, and there's really no, there's no limit to where that question can get placed. And there's not supposed to be one. Now, let me stop. Let me stop. Let me stop. I'm, I'm going to press. I'm going to press. Because some of you are like, no, 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 no. Just give me heaven when I die. I love everybody here. I am concerned of your salvation if you won't take that question seriously. And I don't say that lightly. I say it based on God's word and what I see in God's word. Because he came to make people, people of his way. People who would look at the wide gate and the narrow gate and count the cost. I'm going the narrow and the hard way. Because it is the way, the truth, and the life. It is the way of Jesus Christ. What is the way Jesus would? What is the way Jesus would? Now, to get to that question and to ask it honestly, and, and, and listen, it, it's not something you just write on your sermon notes, tuck in your Bible and forget about. It, it's not something, oh yeah, the preacher talks something about the way of Jesus. Pretty good message. Yeah, yeah let's go to Oakwood or something. You know, it, it's not that. 
If this is going to take root in Matt Evans, in Rockbridge, as we move into our 20th year, I think there's two things that have to be present. The, the, the first one is just faith. Just faith. And, and let me unpack that, okay? Because the first thing that's going to happen when you look at the way of Jesus is you are going to look at and you're going to see a sinless human being. You're going to see Jesus who never did anything wrong yet died as a criminal. In fact, I said it this way. Jesus lived for righteousness and he also lived as our example. Paul said that, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let's look like Jesus. And so you're going to look at your life or you're going to look at your marriage or you're going to look at your checkbook or you're going to look at how you talk to people or you're going to look at your social media account and you're going to be like, man, Jesus would not do it this way. And you're going to need faith to know that does not disqualify you from being a man or woman of the way. Because Jesus also died for me, for you, instead of me, instead of you, as my substitute. So yes, looking at Jesus, looking at him on the cross convicted that my sins, my shortcomings, my own way versus his way, put him there. But yet he loved me so much. He loved me. He died as my substitute. He said, I will take the punishment. And he even gives us, God credits his righteousness, which is perfect to our account. So that when you and I put our faith, there's our word faith. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God as judge He's a perfect judge. God as judge sees the rightness of Jesus in Matt Evans. And the sins of Matt Evans, he sees them as being placed on the bloody, mutilated, dead body of his son. And then Jesus came back to life and he was raised, resurrected to be our very life. And when those truths and hit the human heart, here's what happens. And this is where we get to want to walk and live the way and choose the narrow, the hard way, the way of Jesus. So we repent and trust. We're like, God, I haven't been walking the way of Jesus. And maybe I'm not a Christ follower. Maybe I thought I was, but I was more interested in going to heaven than I was following you. And if you're more interested in going to heaven than following Jesus, you're not saved. Because heaven will be all about Jesus. And if you don't want to follow him here now, why would you be miserable in heaven? But you can get saved by you repenting and trusting in him right now. Well, my way is not perfect. He was your substitute. And when that kind of, man, he was my substitute, really? He paid the penalty? Yeah. I get his righteousness? Yeah. When you put your faith in that, that becomes fuel. You and I, when we meditate on what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus did instead of us, that's fuel to say, I want to follow him. That's fuel to say, I want to go the narrow way. I want to go the hard way. God puts the want to in us where we used to rebel against the way. Now we want the way. And we're fueled by what he did and what he promises to do, because you know following a God that loves you that way will always, always, always be worth it. So you got to have faith to ask our question. You can't just ask it, you know, trivially and 
you, know, you got to have faith. You got to have faith. But the second thing you have to have is you have to have humility, teachability. There's a proverb that basically is the Old Testament way of saying what Jesus said in Matthew 7. The proverb is this. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. So, so I, I just want to say this very, very graciously, but again, I'm pushing a little bit, okay? If you are sitting out there thinking, my way is the right way, you're probably not in the way of Jesus. Because there has to be a humility. In fact, God can't save a proud person. It takes humility to look at the cross and know what you did, that it should have been you. It takes humility to say his way is better than my way. It takes humility to say I'm going to trust him even when I can't see him and even when I'm not in control. So you have to have humility. And as we walk through this question over this, the course of this sermon series, here's what you're going to find with a spirit of humility. That there's some things I have to learn, and there's some things I have to unlearn. Like, like some of us are going to realize I am more American than I am Christian in this way. Some of us are going to have to realize, hey, the way my daddy did it or my granddaddy did it, as much as I love them and respect them, it's not the way of Christ. Some of us are going to have to say, hey, you know what? What I've been listening to on YouTube, it sounds good. And man, it gets me stirred up, but it's not the way of Christ. Some of you are going to have to open your social media accounts and look at your language and how you talk about people. And you have to delete some posts. No, 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 but what about free speech? That's more American than Jesus then. So we're going to have to unlearn, and we're going to have to learn. And so I, I, I want to ask a second question as a backup to my first question. Who or what is discipling us? Because all of us are students of a way, right? And part of becoming, I want to set the record straight. Part of becoming a Christian is saying to Jesus, I now want to be a student of your way. It's not you become perfect. It's I want to be a student, a disciple of your way. I am not just getting a ticket punch to heaven. I am becoming more like Christ as I progressively get closer and closer to him. So, so I, I just give you a couple of little handlebars just to kind of move us forward. I, again, I've created tension, and I haven't resolved it, and I apologize for that, but I'm hoping you'll get hungry and be humble, and you'll come back next week because I just don't think that I have ever found a better question than the one I shared with you earlier. So, so to get us started, I, I, I want to just say, hey, we need to read a gospel. I, I would encourage you all during the course of this series, there's one of, you can pick one of four, I would vote Mark or John and just read one of Jesus' biographies. Read a gospel. Now, I'm going to do something, and, it's, and, and, and I pray. I don't even know if I'm supposed to do it, but I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to do it. I'm even nervous to do it. I'm going to take something that's been very controversial, coronavirus and the vaccine, and I want us to pretend for just a minute. Okay, pretend... You hadn't listened to some person on YouTube. 
pretend you hadn't listened to CNN or Fox or NBC or whoever you listen to. Pretend you hadn't listened to any politician or anything. What if you just said, okay, what does the gospel say that relates to COVID and the vaccine? Now, I know some of you have already moved into camps right now. And you're like, I can't believe he's talking about this in church. <laughs> so, so I want to have full disclosure. I've been vaccinated. My wife has been vaccinated. Okay, full disclosure. I preached the funeral Saturday of someone not much older than me who died of COVID. So that's kind of where I'm at on some things, okay, personally. But even then, I want to just, what does Jesus say? How might Jesus think about something? Well, that's not mad. They didn't have vaccines. But the way of Jesus is sufficient and superior forever. If we don't believe that, we got to take a step back. So I just walked through some scriptures and again, I am not telling anybody, you need to take the vaccine, you don't need to take the vaccine, okay? I, I, I'm not telling you that. I am encouraging you to turn off YouTube, to turn off your news source, and to open a gospel and just see. And, and let me, before I get there, let me say this. When you ask what would Jesus do, what way would Jesus do this, it is not going to fit in a tweet or a Facebook post. It's not always going to be as black and white as you hope it were. It'll shock you, surprise you, challenge you, comfort you, bless you, admonish you all at the same time. Because he's God and I ain't. Okay? So, if all I looked at were the Gospels, and I'm like, God, how do I think about COVID and the vaccine? If all I looked at the Gospel, I just want to give you a sampling. We could, we could do a whole sermon on this. The first thing I, would, I just jumped out to me in Matthew 14, 14 is Jesus had compassion on sick people and he healed them when it fit the direction he was moving. So number one, if I'm going to walk the way of Jesus in a crisis and people are hurting and dying and confused, I better have compassion. Okay. I pray for people's healing. So I have compassion. Okay, I've been asked by people who say, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? Fair question, all right? Mark of the beast in Revelation, Antichrist, false prophet, stamps people to know who he, his followers are. We can, that's a whole other conversation. But when I look at Jesus' words in John 10, 28, 29, he says, the ones that the Father has given me, no one can snatch them out of my hands. So that tells me if you are born again and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, there is no way in hell you will ever be marked by the beast. So the vaccine's not that. Because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. End of discussion. Jesus' words, not mine. Not some blogger. Not some guy claiming to be a prophet. Jesus' words. Matthew 5.45 says, God, this challenged me this week. I, this was not going to be in the sermon, but I got challenged this week by a brother in Christ. He said, Matt, what if the vaccine is common grace? Common grace, Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5.45. That's like God sends rain and sunshine on, on his people and all people. Not just the church. We don't, we're not the church that the only one that gets sunshine and rain. All people get it. 
And, and what if the vaccine is, is just a, a way through the wisdom of, of medicine for the, to help people not get as sick? Or like we would think of when we think of malaria nets for kids in Africa or the, the, the polio vaccine, which most people have, have gotten. And I was like, God, I've never thought about that. And, it, and, and again, I, I, I don't know what to do with it yet. I got to pray about it. I got to think about it. But I was like, it fits the gospels. Now, if you're, but I'm just talking about what Jesus said, not what you're feeling right now. Okay? And, and then the last one is Luke 13. People come to Jesus, and there were two tragedies. Pilate had, had murdered a bunch of Jews, and then a tower had fallen, and it had killed some people. And they come to Jesus and say, well, Jesus, can you believe this happened? And Jesus doesn't talk about the tragedy of unexpected unplanned or uh, premature death. He doesn't say anything about, oh, it's a terrible tragedy. He says, everybody needs to repent. Everybody needs to be saved. And he points them to eternity. And I, I, I thought, golly, bomb. In the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of the funerals that I've dealt with, in the midst of the confusion, we better keep our eyes on eternity. Because according to Jesus, Jesus' words, not mine, the worst thing is not dying of COVID. It's dying without Jesus, no matter what age. The worst thing is not dying at 50. And hey, it'd be better to live to 90. If you die without Jesus, that's the worst thing. When he has made a way and he is the truth and he is the life. So, as you're going about your week and you're going to be tempted to do it your way or do it that way, I just want to give you one little thing. Just pause for a second. Before you yell at your teenager, I'm preaching to myself, <laughs> pause and ask the best question ever. Is this the way Jesus would do it? Before when you, you and your wife go at it, pause. And say, Is this the way Jesus would do marriage? Before you click post, pause and say, is this the way Jesus would do social media? And then remember this truth. Remember this truth. His words, not mine. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray together. God, uh, thank you, because <laughs> there is a better way. God, in my pride, I have missed that way so many times. But God, I, I, I just want to pray a fresh wave of hunger and humility for your way, Jesus. I want to pray for those who may be listening to this. They're not, they know they're not a Christian, but they're ready right now to name Jesus as the way, the truth, and their life. And God, you say, you've already said yes to them when you died in their place. Now they're just saying yes back. Thank you for being a God who saves. Thank you for being a God who shows the way, models the way, lives the way. And God, I pray 
I pray a big prayer. I pray a big prayer. I want you to make Matt Evans. I want you to make the people listening today and this church. I want you to make us look more like Jesus than we currently do. I want you to make us look more like Jesus than we currently do. I confess I can't do it. I need your spirit. I need your word. I need your church, my church family, for prayer, for accountability, for encouragement. I need to be challenged like I was by a brother this week. And God, I need to read your word and let your word read me. So Holy Spirit, you take us and you lead us and you shepherd us and you free us. We want to be people of your way. And we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you died and you rose so you could say you are, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life. And we give you that praise, and we pray that our lives bring glory to your name. And it's in that name we pray, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.